All right, well, here we are. This is going to be the best sermon I've preached this year so far. It's my first one, so. Um, so, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 33. And uh, so we are going to begin a series at the beginning of this new year uh, entitled, Alter Your Destiny. Now, if I look at the screen, it's spelt wrong. We, we discovered it, and Pastor Dwayne is now in a panic because he's like, no, 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 alter is spelt right. Alter your destiny. He probably put it in a different way, and it spell-checked him because he spelt it A-L-T-E-R, which means to change your destiny, which I'm good with, but we want to alter our destiny, and so we're actually going to use A-L-T-A-R, L-A-T-A-R, alter. Now, I grew up in church. How many of you have ever been nervous in church? All right. So I, I grew up in, in church, and so I'm a pastor's kids, a pastor kid. I'm not a kids. I'm a kid, pastor kid. Um, and uh, we, we grew up in church all the time, and so we would have missionaries come in, and we'd have evangelists, and my dad would preach. And, and the tradition of church that we grew up in, when we got to the end of service, there was always the altar call. How many remember the altar call, right? And, and the altar call was, it was, for, for some, it was a high-pressure salesman thing. Like, it's just like, we're not going any further. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And, and then it would be that whole thing, okay, if you need to get right with God. Who needs to get right with God? Raise your hand. And they get they raise the hand, and you just wait, and the hands would go up. And then it'd be like this, okay, now that we've all closed our eyes, we've raised our hands, everyone saying, we need to get right with God, the preacher would stop and say, okay, now, what we want everyone to do who raised their hand, we want you to come down to the altar. And you're like going, yeah, but wait. I raised my hands when all the eyes were closed, right? And every head bowed. And now you want me to come down when everyone is watching? And, and I remember as a kid, because there'd be those moments where you just felt like the preacher was saying something, and, and you might be young, and you didn't pay attention to most of the service, but that final story, something got you, and you're like, going, dude, man, God's trying to get a hold of me. I need, a, I need a respond. You're like, okay, do I put my hand up? Because if you put your hand up, you knew you had to take the walk. <laughs> you put your hand up, and you're just like, okay, and then now just come down to the front. And it was terrible, because I was the pastor's kid. And, and just so you know, if anybody needs Jesus, it's the pastor's kid. Can I get a witness? Come on, yeah, Pastor Dwayne was the pastor's kid. Matthew is, you know, it's like, if you know pastor's kids, they are trouble. And, uh, but, but I remember, you would, you would have that moment, it's like, okay, come down to the altar. And then they'd start playing the song. And if it was a Billy Graham crusade, it was always uh, just as I am. But, you know, you know we, we had all sorts. I surrender all. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other fun ones that we would do. But then you'd have to get up, and you'd have to sometimes shuffle past people and then do the long walk to the altar. And everybody's looking at you. And I remember as a kid, like, if there was one part of the service that was really, really hard, it was that part. Like, you know what, I can, I can sing sort of when there's people all around me singing. But when it's time to move, yikes. But what I found out was this. That altar, 
it was some of the most important moments in my, not only my spiritual development, but in just becoming the person that God would have me be. Because you know what the altar does is it changes your destiny. It begins to change you. It, it, it was it, what, some of the stuff that I learned as I would begin to respond to God and I'd get out of my seat and I'd move to, to the altar. And, and for us, the altar was always a place to meet with God. It, it was like going, you can meet with him in your seats. We always knew that. But there was just that moment where it's just like, you know what? I'm going to move my life forward because I need to meet with God. And that meeting place for me became a place of worship where I would just be able to just just give praise to God and just say, thank you. It, it, it was as, as, I, as I responded to him and at the altar, it became a place of confession where I was able to just address the junk that I had been through. And I'm like going, Jesus, I need your grace. And so the altar became a place of confession. It became a place of surrender where it became less about what I wanted and more about what God wanted. It was the altar that became a place of healing. The altar became a place of empowerment. And, and as we begin this, this new year, I really think that we need to alter our destiny. Like, like we, we, each one of us, we, we are created with purpose and for purpose. How many know this to be true? I, I say it all the time because you need to remember it. You're, you may have surprised your mom and dad. You didn't surprise God. He knew why you're here. He knows what you're for. He, he has made you with purpose and for purpose. And if we are going to experience the purpose God has for us, then we actually need to alter our destinies. And today as we begin, I, I, I just want to think around the idea of being transformed in the presence. How many know that our lives begin to reflect the people we surround ourselves with? Did, did you know this is just a natural part of humanity? Our lives begin to reflect the people we spend time with. It's part of our natural development. You know, it, it was fun watching because we had a little maybe with us and and and. It watching her just as she grows and, and she's in that whole development as a human being and, and what's, what's so much fun is she continues to do this. Part of her development is just simply going to be watching the people around her and then to begin to mimic and to imitate and to begin to develop. And, and, and so what will happen with this little life as it grows up, those who surround her are going to shape her life. And it doesn't stop when we're kids. Did you know that your life is shaped by the people you surround yourself with? And, and, and it's fun because if you've watched people who've been married for many, many years, they, they can begin to reflect and resemble one another. Sometimes it's appearance, but, but sometimes it's just personality. Sometimes it's just, you know, they, they've been through stuff together and they begin to reflect the people that are around them. It can be mannerisms, it can be vocabulary, it can be dress. And what happens as we do it, we begin to see in another person something we desire to see in ourselves. And so we begin to say, hey, we see how it's beginning to be instantiated or worked out in their life. And hey, how would it look in mine? And so it's kind of fun because Emily is our, um, uh, she's our, she's our hip kid. Not that the other ones aren't, but she's our hyper hip kid. So she always comes up with all these new sayings that our guests are all popular, right? And so it's always fun listening to her. She'll try on these 
we hear her using phrases, and so it's always fun as a dad to try and you know, use the same language just for fun, just to mess with her. So I remember when everything was lit, and then everything was dank, and now there's riz, and there's all these things, and so it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of fun, right? And, 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 and you hear it, and you're like, hey, let's just try it on, because the people around you shape who you are. See, our lives are impacted by who we surround ourselves with. This is why, as parents, you are hyper-vigilant about some of your kids' friends. You're like going, you ain't hanging around that person because that person is going to have an effect on you because presence imprints. And we have to understand this, that, that presence imprints, that, that, that it begins to shape us, that you're actually transformed by presence. And so as we think about this idea this morning, the, the big idea we're going to think around is simply this, to live God's purpose, we need to spend time in God's presence. That if we are going to live God's purpose for our lives, we need to spend time in God's presence. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33, and, and there we'll find a, a prayer of Moses. And I love this prayer. I think this is a fantastic prayer. Um, and just to kind of give you the context of what's going on, because, you know, we have these divisions in our Bible, you know, like chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and then we get to chapter 33. Um, and so just kind of being aware of kind of what's going on around it. Uh, in Exodus, many of you are familiar, is the story of God's deliverance of His people from Egypt. And what has happened in the story is God not only has rescued His people from Egypt, He's He's brought them into the, into, the, into the wilderness, remember, through the Red Sea, and then eventually brings them to the foot of a mountain, and that mountain is Mount Sinai. And God says, Moses, come on up, because I have instructions that I want you to have so you can bring to my people. So Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days, and he receives the Ten Commandments. Except when he comes down, everything has gone sideways. Instead of people rejoicing in the God and, and following the God who has brought them out of Egypt, all of a sudden they begin to fashion a God for themselves. And so you get the story of the golden calf. And so as we begin to deal with this story, what we're going to read in chapter 32, sorry, chapter 33, you got to keep in mind what's going on in chapter 32, which is the story of uh, the golden calf. And so I just want to touch on a couple ideas, but... As we come to uh, chapter 33, verse 12, it says this, Moses said to the Lord, because it was real unsettling for Moses and there was all these conversations going on, he says this, uh, Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and, have found favor, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, there's just so many good ideas in this prayer, right? If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. How many think that's just a great prayer right there, right? That's something we all need to be praying. The Lord replied by saying this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, and I love this part, if your, uh, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. 
How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us out. Because what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people? It's going to be your presence. As we look at this, we'll find out real quickly that the presence of God is to be the distinguishing factor for the children of God. Like, what makes the children of God different from just all the other people? And the, the reality is, is it's God's presence. But the thing we have to understand is not only are they defined by God's presence, but that as they spend time in God's presence, you know what the people of God begin to do? is they begin to reflect His person. So this is a really important idea. It's the presence of God that distinguishes us. And how do you know that God's presence is walking with people is that the people begin to reflect the character of God. His goodness, His holiness, His compassion. It's not just about, you know, God's presence that we have this sense of nearness. It's that our lives, that, that as we're in His presence, His presence begins to change us. And we begin to reflect who He is in the world around us. Now, I don't know about you, but do you ever have those moments you're like, going, dude, man, there are some areas in my life that I need to get better at, right? Some people come in, New Year's, they make all their resolutions. Some of them are like, you know I am going to be a better parent, right? How many wish that our children would start out the year by saying, I'm making the resolution to be a better child? I mean, that would be a good one. Come on now. Come on. All the parents are like, yeah, Matthew, please take note. Be a better child. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but but, but you know, we think, how do we be a better spouse? I, I want to I be gooder. Remember when you were in, in school? And there was good and there was gooder, and all the people just like kind of wilt because you're like, there's no such word as gooder, right? But, but we, want, we just don't want to be good. We, we, we recognize there, there may be something to us that, that's good, but there's a, there, there's a way we need to take it to the next level. We need to be more good. Or sometimes we look at our lives and we see areas of our lives that we know, boy, we just need this change because this is an area of my life that leads to self-destruction. This is an area of my life that, that, that hurts me, that hurts other people, and I need that ch stuff changed. Sometimes we go through life and we can get a little embittered by it and we can grow cynical. And, and, and we're just like, well, you know, there, there needs to be a change in me. And, and the way we are changed is by being in God's presence. You see, if, if you want to become gooder, you need to spend time in God's presence. Because how many know that God is good, and if we're in His presence, then His goodness is going to become more reflected in our life? How many know that, that, it, that, that God is calling us to be holy? And for us to be holy, we need to spend time in His presence because as we spend time in God's presence, God's going to say, you know what? There's some things in your life you need to deal with. And he'll begin to make us more holy. 
He's the God who will begin to give us compassion where we might have become cynical and we might have become jaded, but as we spend time in God's presence, all of a sudden God begins to change our heart and our compassion for the brokenness that's around us. You see, if we are going to manifest the life that God is calling us to, we need to spend time in His presence. Now, I think this is so interesting because this prayer arises in the context of the golden calf. And we're familiar with the golden calf. You know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, idols and stuff like that. And, and what an idol simply is, it's, it's, it's more than just an idol or an, an image or an icon. Uh, it, it, it's something, an idol is something that becomes the focus for people as a source for good. They begin to think that this is the thing. If I can just get this thing, this will make my life better. This will make my life good. And, and, and so we begin to do different things in our lives that we begin to elevate things thinking if I can just have this, then it will make my life better. And even though we're modern people, how many know we still are no different from people many years ago in that our hearts bend toward things that are idols. And, and our idols may not be images of gold and silver, but our, our idols can be things like money and power and relationships, position, career. And what happens is they become the object of our focus and our devotion. But there's a huge problem with idols. And you know what the problems with idols are? Let me read it from Jeremiah 2.5, because I think this is a great passage. This is one of those that is like, ouch. Ouch. This is what Jeremiah said to the people of Israel as they began to worship the idols of the, of, the, of the world around them. It says this, They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. I, I want to I read that again because that's, that's like one of those like, ooh, how many think that's kind of like mean? Nobody's worthless. I want to explain the worthless here in a moment, but... It says they worshipped worthless idols and they became worthless themselves. They worshipped something worthless and they became worthless themselves. What, what the idol was is what they became. Now, G.K. Beale has this really great book that's called We Are What We Worship. And it's, it's this great study on on the theology of idolatry. But what's interesting in this book, as, as you read through it, he begins to note, and you find this throughout, his, uh, throughout the, the scriptures, is that the Bible, when it deals with idols, there's things that idols are. They, they would often be fashioned in different ways, and sometimes they would be fashioned you know, like a calf or sometimes a person, and, and they would have eyes. But how many know that if an idol has eyes, it doesn't mean it can see? And, and some of the idols would have not only eyeballs, but they would have ears. They'd have the earlobes. And how many know just because idols have ears doesn't mean they can hear? They, they can have mouths, but they don't speak. That, 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 and, and so it becomes... Imagery, um, they have, uh, in a sense, hands, but they can't touch. They can't feel. And what's interesting about it is it becomes actually a theme through Scripture. Do you know what happens to people who follow idols? Do you know what happens 
They'll have eyes, but they can't see. They'll have ears, but they can't hear. They, 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 will, they will have mouths, but they don't really have anything to say. That, 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 that they can even get to the place where they, they, they become insensitive. They actually don't feel anything. And not only is it that they don't feel anything, it goes on. It'll talk about how, you know what, God's people have become hard-hearted. They've been cold. How many, how many know that a golden calf doesn't actually project warmth? It's actually a metal, and so it's a conductor. And so as a conductor, it's just going to conduct whatever the environment is. So if it's cold outside, you know what the idol's going to do, the gold's going to do? It's going to make you cold because it actually can't produce heat. So God's people, as they follow idols, become like the idol. They become worthless in the sense that what good are eyes if they can't see? What good are ears if they can't hear? What good is a mouth if it can't speak? What, what good is a heart if it can't feel? And the reality is, is that which we surround ourselves with affects who we are. By worshiping dead things, our lives begin to reflect dead things. And this, I think, is so important because sometimes we can go through life focusing on all these things around us, and then all of a sudden we get to the place where we can't see what God wants us to see. We can't hear what God wants us to hear. We can't say the things that need to be said. Sometimes we become a little stiff-necked and stubborn. Sometimes our hearts get hard. Moses simply prays this. He says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Because what's going to distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Because Moses knew this, if we are going to live different, we actually have to be in God's presence because God's presence will ultimately change us. It will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, mouths to speak. It will give us hearts that are tender, that are softened. It will allow us to be guided and directed. And if we are going to live the purpose for which we were called and created, it is God's presence that allows us to truly live. This is why I say to live God's purpose, we have to spend time in God's presence. You see, I'm just convinced that as we begin a new year, we have to be a people that say, God, I, I, I need your presence in my life. If I'm going to be who you've called me to be, if I'm going to do what you've called me to do, then what I need is I need to be found in your presence. And I want you to know something. God wants to reveal himself to me. We don't have time to go through the rest of the passage, but you'll find out that God says, you know what, Moses, you want, you want to see me? Because Moses is like, God, would you just reveal your glory to me? Would you help me understand who you are? Would you help me encounter you? Will you help me see you? And God says, I'll do it. I want you to know God wants to reveal himself to us. And then God goes on to say this, there is a place near me. And I think this is important because there's an invitation that God gives us to move close to Him. It's, a, it, it's an idea and a message that is found in the New Testament. If you remember Jesus' brother, James. Now, just before I go any further, how many think being the brother of Jesus would just be terrible? 
right? Could you imagine your mother saying all the time, why can't you be more like Jesus? Right? Like, like, come on. Could you imagine trying to follow him in school? Like Jesus was perfect in school and you're just not, right? But, but here, James anyways ends up finding Jesus, a relation changed by him, it's so great. But then he'll say this in his, in his letter. He says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, God says, there's a place near me. And that place near him is a place we have to learn to move toward. We just can't stay in the same place we're at. We actually have to, with intention and energy and focus, say, you know what? It's time to move from here to there. We have to move into, toward his presence. Now, we recognize God's presence is everywhere, but how many know just because his presence is everywhere, we're not always aware of it? nor are we oriented toward it. And so what we have to learn to do, if we're going to become what God's called us to be, we actually have to spend time in His presence. You see, to live God's purpose, we need to spend time in God's presence. And for us to be transformed by God's presence, we have to make His presence a matter of devotion. I just want to ask you, who is your source of good? Dude, it's almost like altar music there, Elsie. That's beautiful. That's all right. We got a phone going off, so those are always fun, right? It's it's a matter of devotion. Who is your source for good? You know what humanity's problem is? We try to find good apart from God. That that's the that's the ultimate beginning of what sin is. Sin is I know better than God how to get the good thing. All of you at some point you're going to start saying, "Hey, you know what? I need to find something good." Are you trying to find it with God or without God? Are you trying to do it in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own way? The problem is, is that when we begin to sin, when we begin to, to follow things, when we set something up as an idol, a, a, a way by which to get good apart from God, what it does is it robs us of vision, it robs us of hearing, it robs us of sensitivity. And, and, and this is why we need the grace of God applied, applied to our hearts over and over. This is why we, we spend time at, at, at communion saying, okay, God... I, I need your grace to forgive me of my sin because that actually puts us in a place where, where God can begin to change us. And the reality is, is Christ came to make us alive. And I think having a heart that's oriented toward Him to, to make a matter of devotion, seeking the presence of God is something that we have to do. And it's not just something that sinners do outside the church, it's something we have to do. Not only that, we have to daily connect with God. We have to draw near to Him. We have to bend our heart, our mind, and our attention toward Him. We need to allow His presence to make us alive. Last week, as, as we were coming to the end of the year, we're like going, hey, get your Bible reading guide because we challenge you to read through the Bible every year. And uh, different ones step up and do it. And, and so there, there's this aspect of, 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 of reading God's Word, and that is so important. But what we also have to do is we have to begin to spend time in God's presence daily because, again, it's presence that begins to imprint upon us. And I don't know about you, but I know what the demands of the day are like. My task list can never get filled in a 24-hour period. How many are with me on this one? And if I'm not careful... My day can fill up with all sorts of things. And from the time I wake up to the time I lay my head on the pillow, I can have so much stuff going on that I can miss out on time in God's presence just simply because of how busy I am. I have to make the determination to draw near to God 
daily. If we're going to be transformed by his, in His presence, we need to make it a matter of devotion. We have to learn to connect daily, and we also have to gather with purpose. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. You see, God's Word helps us understand that something happens when we gather to seek God's face together. That when we begin to pray together, when we begin to say, okay, you know what, as, as, as a people of God, as, as a congregation, as a community, we're bending our hearts toward God. When we begin to gather and pray together, that prayer becomes a catalyzing event for spiritual and spirit-empowered change. That when we begin to pray together, something happens. We see this in Acts in a whole bunch of different places. One is Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 31. It says, when they heard this, they, they raised their voices in prayer together to God. And if you read the passage, there's all these, there's an amazing prayer. But it gets to the end and it says this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, something happens when we pray together. So the reason we as a church every year begin our year with evenings of prayer is because we know, number one, that it is presence that imprints. But not only that, there's something that happens when we gather to pray. And I want to encourage you and invite you to be a part of prayer this week. I know we are doing it Sunday in Dryden, Monday in Lansing, Tuesday in Dryden, Wednesday in Lansing. Can I encourage you to come out? Additionally, ready for the additionally? Families, I encourage you to bring your kids. The reason why, let me, let me so here's a, here's a reason why. As parents, our kids are looking to us for, for examples. They reference their lives off of our lives. And you know what? Putting them in a place where they can learn from our example is an important thing. This is why you need to bring your kids to church. This is, this is why that, that you bring them to times of prayer, because what it does is it, it begins to help them understand this is what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you to come on out. And uh, it, it's, a, it's an hour time, and uh, it, it's an opportunity to, to worship, to, to pray, and, and really to connect with God. And I'm convinced when we begin to do this, God begins to change something in us and around us, because again, presence imprints. Imprint. So lastly, as we close, to live God's purpose, we need to spend time in God's presence. We need the presence of God. Why? Because what else will distinguish us from all the people of the world? What else? What else is going to distinguish us? But not only that, it's His presence that makes us alive. It, it allows us to see and to hear. It allows us to feel as we ought to feel. It, it helps us live the purpose we were created for. And not only that, He invites us. He says, there is a place near me. So may we draw near the one who loves us and created us. And I think as, as we begin this year, I think it's a great time to alter our destiny. I want to invite Pastor Duane and the worship team to come on up. Again, remember, our lives are impacted by those we surround ourselves with. So this is how we're going to close. You ready for this? This is that unsettling time in a service. Because you know what the challenge is? The challenge is for us to move from where we are and say, God, I want to make movement in your direction. 
As a kid growing up, for me, the, the altar area was always this area here. It wasn't a table. It was just the space in front where we would move to meet with God. And so this is how I would love us to end our time together. And that is, I'd love to invite you to come on up and just say, you know what, as my expression, as I begin this year, I'm just choosing to move near. I'm going to move toward God. I want to just spend a few moments in his presence and allow his presence just to begin to change me. You might be saying, I don't even know what to do when I'm up here, right? Some of you, this is new. One of the things you can do, you can come up, you can kneel and just whisper a prayer to God. You can stand in his presence. But it's an opportunity for you to begin to say, God, I just, I bring myself to you because God, I need you to change me. And if we're going to live the purpose we were created for, we need his presence to change who we are. So I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Dwayne is going to lead us. And when he starts singing, that's your cue to move. All right, let's all stand together. Lord, I thank you that you have come that we might have life, life to the full. Lord, you want to change our lives with your grace and your goodness. Lord, we can't do this stuff on our own. We can't be the people you've called us to be. We can't serve the purpose you've called us to serve apart from you. And Lord, would you forgive us for all those times that we try to do good in and of ourselves? Lord, would you forgive us for those times where we look to other things besides you to try and accomplish good? Because Lord, ultimately what we need is you. And God, we need your presence. And Lord, even as we begin a new year, we want to begin it in your presence. That you might change us and transform us. Because God, we need you. We need you.